0: Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak, it's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 74, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Ah! Nation. (laughs) No! Ben forgot that we have episode numbers and he has to look these things up which is awesome I'm your host Michael Kist follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL as always joined by the best doggone co-host in the game Mr. 8 year streak without a bad day looks like he found a player matching the number 74 he is Benjamin Solak follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak that's S-O-L-A-K. Ben how you doing brother?
1: Deshaun Hall defensive end mm. signed in the middle of the season Was a Carolina Panthers practice squad? I think it was somewhere else as well. Uh, Generally ineffective depth piece that was only signed because of injury. Had like one sack in one game. Deshaun Hall wears number 74. Suck it! I survive another day.
0: Ben. So let's talk about some Senior Bull stuff today. That's going to be the main topic of the show. We'll go over the game and then we'll use that as an umbrella to talk about some individual prospects, how their specific week was, you know, through an Eagles lens, of course. But first, I wanted to talk about this proposed trade on CBS.com. I believe it was Will Brinson that came out with a mock draft and Mm -hmm. then put out a potential trade for the Eagles. What it proposes is that the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Philadelphia Eagles do a little swappy swap. So the Jaguars would send the seventh overall pick and the nice 69th overall pick to the Eagles for Foles number 26 and 54. Now he also said that the Jaguars could put together a package that includes Leonard Fournette, And another later on pick for Foles as well. I don't really see this as an option for the Jaguars, which is interesting because Blake Bortles is on contract. If they cut him, that's $10 million worth of cap money. So the option for Foles, which the Eagles would have to pick up for this to be a thing, means that the Jaguars, at bare minimum, are paying $30 million at their quarterback position, which is not ideal when you just end up with Nick Foles at the end of the day. Now, the other part of it is the whole Leonard Fournette of it all, and I, for one, do not care for being a dumping ground for top five running back contracts without top five running back performance, and bad attitudes, which is the reason why they want to ship him out to begin with. Ben, what did you think of this trade proposal? Is there any chance whatsoever?
1: Right, so here's my thing, is like, I'm I'm very interested immediately in any trade for foals because then we could potentially get things that we wouldn't get otherwise like the main thing we're getting compensation wise from foals right now is a third round compensatory selection seven is objectively better than that even though you're also sending 26 and whatever it was 54 i think is the other one
0: 54 you're still getting back sixty nine, so yeah. I mean, that's that's enticing to me. Yeah,
1: I'll, I will pay attention to any trade offer. There's obviously multiple hurdles to clear. Like you got to make sure the contract situation with Foles is correct, uh, and that the Jaguars want to make that trade and take on Foles' uh, contract. Because again, if we're talking about trading Foles, it's I believe almost completely like there's no other way to do it besides having Foles on a one year eighteen million dollar deal, or it might be it might be twenty million dollar deal the mutual option in terms of what it would look like when he was traded. So. They'd have to want to trade for him on that contract. One. Two, Foles has to want to go there. You know what I mean? If Foles is like, I don't want to go to Jacksonville and only be on a one year deal. I want to go somewhere else and be on a multi year deal. You probably have to respect that if you're Philadelphia. Like you 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 know, this is like there's doing business, but then there's also like retaining your your standing in the league as a place where free agents really want to go and a place that treats players right. And like, you know, Foles is a big as big of a of a, a figurehead for that example of that as you get. There's a couple different obstacles to clear, but yeah, I'm I'm listening to any trade offer just to see what I can get from a player who's worth more than a third round compensatory pick. The only reason you would do this is because you had somebody at seven in mind that you know will be there. It's the only reason. You can get a good player at 26 in this draft. You and I have, have had discussions about this. We've seen this. You know, they called the defensive line class historic. 25. 25, excuse me. They've called the defensive line class historic. Didn't Brinson put, like, 26 in, like, the trade? And that's why I thought it was 26. Didn't they, he list it incorrectly? Maybe, yeah, somebody did.
0: He did put it at 26. We pick at 25, right? I'm not taking crazy pills.
1: Yeah, no, that's wrong. <laughs> so, we, you and I have discussed this. How he calls the defensive line class historic. If you're drafting defensive tackle or edge, which I think are both spots, Philadelphia could go in round one, depending on how free agency goes. You can get an impact starter at 25 at that position. Boom. Wash your hands. Clean. You know what I mean? Like, we, we're good. So if you want an impact starter, if you're going to go there in round one, which I think Philadelphia could go at either one of those spots for free agency, depending on how free agency goes, you can get an impact starter at 25. So the only reason you would go up to seven is if you said to yourself like, oh man, we want Jonah Williams to step in at left tackle for Jason Peters, who's retiring. We know he'll be mm. there at seven. Let's make the move. And and we think that that's, that's worth it, that that's, that's at value. We have two second rounders, so we can move around the second round picks a little bit and be okay with it. But they would never, I don't think, just do this trade and be like, well, let's see who we're going to take at 7 now. You know what I mean? Otherwise, just let Foles walk and take who you're going to take at 25. There's no reason to move around a little bit. So you'd have to have a target in mind at 7 in order to pull this off. The the, the trade with Fournette, pff, no, there's no chance. 0% chance. There's no way yeah. they're going to be paying a running back uh, almost $9 million, which is his contract this year, when they're not going to give him that many touches. And he also doesn't make sense with what they'd like to do at running back. He's not a good pass catcher. And he's a downhill power style runner on an offensive line to build a run zone. Seven, I'm interested, but it would be to go get somebody. They would have to have a target in mind.
0: So let's talk about 25. Let's talk about seven real quick. Kind of the players that we might be thinking in that area very early for this, but... You talk about at 25, you're looking at possibly the defensive tackle from Mississippi State, Jeffrey Simmons, who I love. Possibly the defensive tackle from Clemson, Christian Wilkins, who I love as well. Safety this year, Adderley. You're looking at players like Montez Sweat, the edge player out of Mississippi State, who I thought had a really good week at the Senior Bowl. At seven, you're thinking, okay, you have to have a target, but there might be a few guys there that you could definitely sell yourselves on. We're talking Brian Burns from Florida State, the mm-hmm. edge guy, who's super Listen, enticing as a prospect Josh me. Sweat and
1: Brian Burns, just <laughs> draft the Florida State pass rush in 2017. Big bet. I'm there.
0: Exactly. Like you said, Jonah Williams, the offensive tackle. Uh, you've also got guys like Ja'Kai Polite they might, they might really like. Ed Oliver, the interior defensive lineman from Houston could be there, he could fall. He's gonna test like a freak at the combine and start getting that chatter up about his name once that hits.
1: Young man can scoop.
0: Did you did you see that Ed Oliver last offseason said that he could at 290 pounds, I don't think he's 290 pounds, but at 290 pounds, he could get close to four six flat.
1: Here's the thing I don't even I don't even I don't even remotely like for a second, even a little bit, care about what his 40 time is. It's gonna be really good and right. it's gonna get highlighted. I could not care less. When he comes in, and I'm gonna look this up right now, I want to see what the record is for interior defensive line three cone. Because I'm telling you right now, that's what he—that's what he oh. has circled, and that's what he should have circled.
0: He moves like a linebacker. It's incredible. He can flip his hips. He can do all of that stuff. Right? The,
1: like, there's, there's obviously it's like viral videos. I don't know how much they actually matter. Uh, of him running like cornerback drills. Like he literally does corner drills. He's 280. Yeah. This is stupid good. Okay, <laughs> the record for three cone drill for an interior defensive lineman. Is oh my gosh! It belongs to Fletcher Cox at seven point zero seven seconds, and I absolutely one hundred percent believe Ed Oliver. Can Oliver's run that. gonna beat that. I absolutely do.
0: So the Eagles, if they were to move up to seven and draft Ed Oliver, would have two of the highest times at three cone. Yeah. Which is incredible. Let's talk about let's talk about the three cone, why that matters, because yes. that's talking about how you can corner through contact and all of that stuff. You want to add on to to what three cone means for a prospect, especially a defensive lineman, when talking about their pass rush and what they can do with their flexibility.
1: Let's well firstly let's start with this. Aaron Donald came into the combine at two hundred and eighty-five pounds. He ran a seven point eleven three cone. Fletcher Cox came in at two ninety-eight, thirteen pounds heavier, and ran a seven point zero seven. Better three cone than Aaron Donald. That's nuts. That's my new favorite, like little <laughs> Little uh, NFL yeah. draft trivia. Fletcher Cox is the fastest three-cone of every interior defensive lineman ever. The three-cone drill is also called the L drill because you run an L. You start at, like, the, the bottom right corner of the capital L. Uh, you run to the, the bottom left corner. You run it back. And then you run that whole, the whole L, and you finish again at the bottom right corner of the L. And you can look up, you know, videos of it at the Combine and videos of it for a a ton of different sports. It measures change of direction, ability, and agility, and your ability to bend through corners, which when we talk about pass rushing prospects, mostly on the edge, but often on the inside as well, we're talking about their ability to bend through corners. Fletcher Cox can penetrate a a defense, or penetrate an offensive line. He can get into the backfield, but what really makes him... Excellent at finishing plays is his ability to put a foot in the ground, turn the corner off his penetration, and then attack the quarterback at his set point. So it's the ability to maintain velocity through angles to continue running at extreme angles to the ground. Ed Oliver, like Fletcher Cox, has got like a a higher, more high cut frame. So the fact that he has a 7.07 is mind boggling. Like that's bonkers. I would never have guessed that. I would (laughs) guess it was good, but not like, you know, top one. When you look at an Aaron Donald or Ed Oliver like frame, shorter, squattier, lower center of gravity, those frames really lend themselves to doing well in the three cone. You're more likely to be able to operate at extreme angles as compared to the ground, you know, uh, running through these angles. And Oliver's frame lends itself to a great three cone, and he's got impossibly quick feet. He's got really, really good athleticism and really good flexibility. So we expect a great three cone from him in that regard.
0: So one thing that I wanted to touch on before we move on to the Senior Bowl stuff, because we were talking about the Foles trade and it's all under this umbrella, is the Bengals, the Cincinnati Bengals, who people thought might be a potential landing spot for Nick Foles. The way that they're talking right now is that it looks like they're going to stick with Andy Dalton. Now, they can cut Dalton with zero dead cap. They have that maneuverability. Yeah, they can. So it's interesting, and their new head coach, Zach Taylor, is the brother of the Eagles quarterbacks coach, Press Taylor, because we're all playing this six degrees to Kevin Bacon type thing with Nick Foles. I was was just saying on 97.5 this morning, a lot of people work with a lot of people in the NFL You could draw lines any which way. I don't know how much I buy into it. So we'll see what happens with that. But it looks like the Bengals won't be in the sweepstakes. It is interesting, however, that there is serious doubt, and we touched on this towards the end of the season, that Alex Smith may not be able to play next year. Washington could be in play for Nick Foles. Ben, anything else you want to talk about with Nick Foles before we move on to the Senior Bowl recap?
1: It's fun to talk about trade things. He's likely just going to walk and just start getting your head like Just (laughs) contract-wise... He was much, much more tradable last year. They chose not to trade him. It was a heavily criticized choice. I I absolutely was part of the criticism, but I understood the merit of keeping a good backup quarterback. It played out again in 2018. It was important to the team. It took them all the way to the divisional round of the playoffs. Uh, Now he's going to walk, and they're not going to get as much as they would have gone from if they traded him after 2017, but they also made the playoffs for the two consecutive years, in, in large part because of him. So, have, you, you know, you pick up both ends of the stick. This is the simple reality yeah, of it.
0: I find it interesting because the Jaguars with Tom Coughlin there at the helm didn't make a big offer for Foles. Uh-huh. And now we come back a year later and we expect them to make some huge offer for him. I just I, I, I can't connect those dots. Right. And it, it's,
1: it's the whole like Filippo thing. Will Filippo coach with Foles for one year? Sure. But he's been developing young quarterbacks for his entire time in the career and in, in his entire career in the league. So I really, I just right. don't think it's going to be Jacksonville. And I'll, I'll gladly change my tune if I hear anything otherwise. Everything I've heard is Jacksonville is a non-starter. Place like Cincinnati, more interesting. Place like Miami, more interesting. New coaches, you know, potential for rebuilds for bridge quarterbacks, whatever. We quarterback class adds some color to that. But Jacksonville, I just, I, I'm, I'm not, that doesn't seem to be run on Jacksonville.
0: Now, one thing working in the favor of the Eagles is the performance of some of these quarterbacks at the Senior Bowl. Let's get into the Senior Bowl recap. The North wins 34-24. The score does not matter. One interesting point is that Duke quarterback Daniel Jones, a favorite of mine, he's not a favorite of mine, is your MVP. Eight for 11, 115 yards, a touchdown, also added a rushing touchdown on a read option play. He did have one should have been interception by Juan Thornhill. The safety from Virginia dropped it. He had intercepted Daniel Jones earlier in the season on a duck
1: Juan could have such good interception career numbers if he just didn't drop passes it drives me nuts I really like Juan Thornhill I thought he had an up and down week I'm a little lower on him than I think I I I was I was like you know Make right. sure I know where I want to put them relative to the team, relative to what I saw. Mobile sucks for safeties and corners; it's just like impossible.
0: Well, they they went light on cornerback so that they could get cornerback more cornerback reps from the safeties. The teams wanted that, which already puts the safeties in a bad position.
1: Yeah, so you know, like 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 Thornhill took. Like, seven reps that I saw as, like, a single high safety in cover three, which is what he's going to do at the next level, most likely, (laughs) right? Like, Nasir Adderley was another one out of Delaware, a kid who's going to maybe go in the first round. He's been mocked at Philadelphia, and I like that fit because he is a versatile piece. He does have good coverage ability. He was great over tight ends. In Mobile, but his primary deployment is going to be as a free safety, and he just didn't play the position during practice. You know, so it's like, right. like Nasir Adderley had an up and down week. Well, yeah, you would too if you were not playing where you were, where you played in college and we're going to play in the NFL. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's a nice opportunity to check some other boxes, but like that's what's important to remember. Either way, yeah, Thornhill, I, I, I still think I like Thornhill. I'll probably end up liking him more than I should. I like length and I really like Same. recognition ability. He's a smart cookie. Yes. I just wish he caught the dang football a little more often. <laughs>
0: As you often scream, give me smart defensive backs. I think yeah. Juan Thornhill is a smart one. I think I'll be with you on that. You know, up and down week again, who cares? The film is solid. Uh, Daniel Jones back to the MVP of the game. Before we move on to some more Eagles specific guys as we work through the individual performances, just wanted to throw out there this guy's getting all this first round hype. He's a big quarterback. We get it. That does not mean he has a big arm. People are going to associate big quarterback with big arm. He does not have one. We saw multiple balls die on him. His accuracy just falls off a cliff when he has to get past his first read, which he rarely had to do, as your piece on uh, Daniel Jones contextualizing quarterbacks for the DraftNetwork.com pointed out. Rarely ever had to get off of his first read. He was yep. really babied in that offense. So MVP or not, I don't care, man. What were the past two MVPs? It was Kyle Laletta, Who was the other one a uh, year before Davis
1: that? Webb, baby. Yo, yeah, right. Davis. Yeah.
0: So uh, the quarterback performances, I mean, Daniel Jones was – all right, but the warts were there. He threw some real ducks. But here's so here's really my thing hilarious. with here's my
1: thing with like Big Arm. What is bit yeah. what does Big Arm look like? There's two things big arm looks like. Right. Velocity, usually to the mm-hmm. short and intermediate areas, and then distance on a deep ball. Yeah. And so I personally believe that Daniel Jones has a good arm. I think he has a strong arm.
0: I think short to intermediate. Right. right.
1: And when That's I say hard. that, I'm referring to the fact that he can throw with heat to the short and yeah. intermediate areas. And he can do it off platform, which is mostly where you have to recruit more arm strength because you're not getting as much torque from your hips. So that's where he has a strong arm. Now his deep balls suck. They're really bad. His deep accuracy is laughable. He is throwing catchable passes about one out of every three attempts. It's not great. Is that a arm strength problem or is that an accuracy problem? When you, I think like his balls die on him often going deep down the field. And then also you'll see him sail it by like 10 yards. So I think there's like modulation that has to happen there. I think that he has to get better at just Deep ball accuracy, anticipating how far down the field he needs to get it, and throwing with touch, and that's when we'll better understand how strong his arm is. I agree with you; it does not have like the deep reach that I think a Drew Locks does, or absolutely a Tyree Jackson does. I freaking love Tyree Jackson. Yeah, but uh, to me, like his velocity is really, really cool. For like, uh there's a couple times during his film. It's not my final comp for him, but there's a couple times during his film where I wrote down Nick Foles. For that reason, Foles throws with good velocity, especially off platform. Like he can really zip the football into tight windows. When he throws with touch, it's very often like, "and here we go." This <laughs> is like a prayer. It's <laughs> like, ah, catch it. You know what I mean? And there's not a lot of like really nice placement down the field when he has to put air under the football, and he doesn't have a super strong arm in that regard. So uh, that that that's there's like a Nick Folesian aspect of it there. Of course, most people just disagree with how. We all view Nick Full, so like that comp doesn't really matter, but whatever.
0: So, as far as the MVP discussion goes, let's kind of bring in some names here. I mean, you could have gone with Tyree Jackson for the South, who you brought up. He's 13 for 21, 165, two touchdowns, threw an interception as Seer added to Nasir Adderley, which is great for the brand. But you kind of saw the, both the up and downs of his game. And I just love the fact that we had a quarterback that could come in and be aggressive and be somewhat accurate downfield and you know didn't mind letting it fly a little bit. So I liked his game. The other two for the North that I liked that I thought had, had good games. You talk about Andy Isabella, 7 for 74 and a touchdown, the wide receiver out of UMass. A couple of guys that I wanted to touch on with you, because I don't think we talked about it in the Senior Bowl recap, and I thought they had really good weeks. Keelan Doss, from UC Davis, the wide receiver. He got four balls for 55 yards. And then Terry McLaurin, the wide receiver from Ohio State, who a lot of people said was a big winner for the Senior Bowl practices. And then also, you know, 25-yard gain was his long. totals 53 yards. Had a good game. What do you think about those guys?
1: Man, Keelan Doss.
0: He's fun, right? I re- I, I need UC Davis tape. He looks impressive.
1: See, here's the, here's the thing with, uh, with Keelan Doss. I remember – when I remember the first time I saw Corey Davis play against MAC competition, it was against Buffalo. Yeah. Right. And you were just like, yo, like this, who brought the adult to the college game? Right. Like the dude <laughs> just comparatively, the size was unbelievably different. This is not the same effect because he's in the, he's in the uh, senior bowl with, with NFL players, but you, if, if Doss was wearing a, a power five helmet, you'd have no idea. You know what I mean? Cause he's such, he's like six three two ten. He's yoked, right? He's got a great build on his frame, great mass. He probably can't get much heavier, which he doesn't need to. But like, he's pretty maxed out, and so he he absolutely just looks like yeah. that caliber of receiver. Now he gets Keenan Allen comps from the big guys, right? Which are which are healthy. It's a little aggressive. It's a little much. Keenan Allen, <laughs> uh, healthy Keenan Allen is the top like 15 wide receiver in the league. So let's
0: at least, yeah,
1: right. So so okay. So if he wins in similar ways, then he wins in similar ways. And I think Doss is a good route runner. I don't think he's a Keenan Allen level of route runner. I think Doss has good shiftiness at the line of scrimmage. I don't think he's a Keenan Allen level of separator at the line of scrimmage. But if we're talking, in my opinion, about I don't the Devonte Adams is too rich for me. I don't know. Like a Muhammad Sanu type, Marvin Jones type, sure. I mean, I'm there.
0: Bigger dude, decent mover.
1: I haven't spent a lot of time on UC Davis tape, like you said. It's hard to get to. There's not a lot of great cut ups on him going around. But I could, I, I, you could have put the bunch out there, and I could have picked out Travis Fulgham. I could have picked out Penny Hart. Could have picked out Andy Isabella because they didn't look like Power Five bodies. Keelan Dawes is a power five body playing at UC Davis. And he was very much entertaining a grad transfer. And he decided to stay at UC Davis to help build the Aggies program there. And so, you know, he was a guy who a chance for him to go to a power five school, uh, you know, grad transfer and really like prove his stuff. And he elected to stay there, which, you know, hmm. NFL draft future, that's good or bad for him, whatever. You got to respect the decision. McLaurin can run.
0: Yeah. dude. McLaurin he can
1: thinks he's going to run a four three five. I don't, what? That'd be great. Uh, I don't think – I think it'd be a 4-4 guy. I don't think he's going to break 4-4. 4-3-5, we're having a whole different conversation now. Like if he's under 4-4, then we're we're talking about like a serious, serious deep threat here that we got to talk about with the likes of Miko Hartman out of Georgia, Marquise Brown out of Oklahoma.
0: If we're talking about McLaurin and we're looking for somebody for the Eagles because obviously they want some speed and if he can run 4-4 under that, is McLaurin a guy that you're looking for? Because you're looking at this guy's senior year – he only have 35 catches but they're for 701 yards he had a 20 yard average and he had 11 touchdowns like this dude can definitely boogie is, is he someone that you're interested in with the eagles
1: right so i still remain generally un non-plus about the whole like get a deep threat get a speed guy thing
0: let's say for this exercise that you are interested right. in a all, so because it. Because I'm like, kind of with you.
1: Like, if you, if you say, like, all right, Philadelphia is drafting a sub 4-4 guy. Who are they drafting? Number one, Who? get yeah. Marquise Brown all the way out of here. I don't want him.
0: People are Dude, people are going to be all over him with us when he runs his 40, and we're just going to be like, no. Yes, I like the player. Do I like where we would need to draft him if we needed to right. get him? No, I do not.
1: You're an Eagles fan. You're listening to the podcast. Welcome to the show. <laughs> How do you feel about the number of, like, screens and, like, wide receiver screens, like little quick behind the line of scrimmage stuff that the Eagles run. You think it's a little bit too much? Then you don't want to draft Marquise Brown because he'd be like eight more of those per game because he absolutely yep. is going to be a manufactured touches guy. Not in a bad way, just like that's how you're going to want to use a player of his size and his speed. Right. You know, obviously, like so he's going to get the Tyreek Hill comps. It's important to note that like Hill is a very effective downfield receiver. He does run a limited route tree, in my opinion, but he's an effective downfield receiver, Um, but he also gets the manufactured touches and it limits and affects how often, like, Sammy Watkins is getting the football and how often Travis Kelsey is getting the football. Like, I don't think Philadelphia currently has the infrastructure with the weapons they have. Ertz Goddard, Aguilar, Jeffrey, to introduce a guy who you have to take place to get him the football intentionally where there's no other options on the field. Right. I look more at uh, Amiko Harmon out of Georgia, who I think you can get day three, who literally is just a burner. But Michael Harmon is just yeah. like show him the end zone and tell him to get there as fast as he can and look up for the football, and if it's there, catch it. Emmanuel Hall out of Missouri is a guy who I think would have and could have had a great Senior Bowl week who was unable to perform because of, I believe, a groin injury. Now, Hall, limited route tree in the Missouri system. However, it seems to be snappy, seems to be fluid. Reminds me of Aguilar in terms of his ability to change direction at velocity. His ability to snap off a, a slight route break and change direction while still burning, while still flying. So, to me, he's more of an Aguilar replacement type. If you intend on moving on from Aguilar after this year, after you pay him your fifth-year option, which is annoying, I don't I the fifth year option, we've already discussed this. It's bad. Yeah. I think McLaurin is the best of those four options. Mikal Hardman, Georgia, Emmanuel Hall, Missouri, Marquis Brown, Oklahoma. For value. I mean, you're probably getting McLaurin, I think, in round three. Right. Has more experience running three-level route concepts, the three-level routes at Ohio State. Correct. Has clear, uh, fantastic yak ability in terms of also breaking tackles. Has demonstrated great route running ability, especially at the senior bowl. And he's also going to be, if we're talking about potentially a sub-4-four guy. I feel he's gonna be a little bit over 4-4. He I think makes more sense in like what you wanted Mike Wallace to be. I think that, that like McLaurin makes the most right. sense for Philadelphia round and value-wise. So sure, sign me up. I still don't think Philadelphia's going receiver with their first four or five picks.
0: And and I'll say about Emmanuel Hall from Missouri, you know, a lot of the times they're their limited route tree is because like they'll have on one side, they'll have a streak. On the other side, they're gonna have a curl. And they're going to tell Drew Locke to take the best look. But what I liked about Hall was his ability to, to even with that limited route tree. I mean, his releases for, for that type of offense. His polish as getting out of the line, getting off of press. I mean, he had a slant on a touchdown where he had a beautiful release. It was really quick, and he was really explosive out of it. So he can do those things. There are flashes of him not just being a straight line guy. He snaps off those curls really well. So you know he's a shifty guy. So Hall is interesting to me. I have to watch more of his tape. I've only watched two games so far, but he's definitely one in that area. You know, if they're looking to take a swing on a on a Shelton Gibson type again, then McLaurin. And, and Hall are definitely interesting to me. Let's talk about the running back group Let's Not because Bruce Anderson was the oh, best running okay. back there. And the rest of them were Jags and didn't do anything for me. Was there a running back there that interested you whatsoever? Because Dexter Williams didn't do it for me. Karen Higdon might be the jaggiest Jag that ever jagged hey. A Jag.
1: Hey, I like Karan Higdon.
0: I like him too. But you can get a Higdon at the Aldi. Like the, <laughs> You can get him anywhere.
1: Listen. I mean, I, I like I like Hickman a lot. It's like a round four guy who could come in and take ten, twelve touches for you. I'll tell you the the back I like the most. You ready for this? This is big for me. This is a huge moment for me. I have to. This is a a, a paradigm shift unlike any other. Are you ready?
0: Oh boy, who is it? Ooh, can I take one guess?
1: I you're gonna get it right because I've made it super dramatic. Hit it.
0: Tony Pollard, Memphis.
1: Nope. Alec Ingold, fullback out of Wisconsin. Oh. I love this kid.
0: Put him on my team any day of the week. Go listen. For
1: it. <laughs> listen. Listen. I love him.
0: He is not just a fullback. He is not Dude, just a fullback. I love him.
1: Recruited to play quarterback at Northern <laughs> Illinois. Yeah. So, like, we're not talking about, like, recruited to play quarterback at, like, pfft. no. Like, at Northern Illinois, right? He was a Wisconsin high school player of the year. In the year that he came out, like Gatorade Player of the Year, whatever it is, okay? I, pretty much at the last second, there was a change in Wisconsin for whatever reason. I think they had like a linebacker go down with injury, and they gave mm. him an offer to come play linebacker, and he was like, heck yeah. So he went, he was a linebacker in Wisconsin his first year, so you know he's an angry son of a gun. Yeah. Bounced around, like wanted to stick a linebacker, but the guy's healthy again. They were like, do you want to like try it at fullback? And he was like, yeah, let's do it. Then he's been lead blocking for the for the for college's best running back most prolific r- rushing attack over the past two seasons ridiculously uh like he's a great athlete right he's he's clearly like very fluid's got a great hip has nice explosiveness and he had see he had the wonderful block in the senior bowl game where he freaked out with John Gruden on the sideline but he was a killer in yeah. pass protection for three straight for three straight days in terms of of the reps that they were getting in practice yep. and they hit him on fullback wheel every time they had like third and seven and they really needed it and nobody was freaking ready for it he is a good athlete who can I think can play other positions for you can dabble in other spots like you know he talked about like yeah man like they used to line me up at wide receiver Wisconsin I was like why and he was like because they knew I could catch you know what I mean like it's like I don't I do not condone drafting you you think it's
0: like is it 22 personnel or is it 13 personnel that's a little bit of both.
1: I don't I do not (laughs) condone drafting a fullback I never will and I will I will I will live for that the day I die but
0: we call him an H-back? Can we call him an H-back? Because I like this kid.
1: So, so Goddard is like, what, 6'5", 260? Ingold's like, I think I Ingold think came at like 245. Let me find senior role measurements. Hang on.
0: Ingold came in at just under 6'1", 247.
1: So, he's no, he's a fullback, sort of a build. There's no way around it. People have said like, oh, like Doug had success with Anthony Sherman in Kansas City. And he did. So I don't think you draft Engle, but I liked a lot of what I saw from Engle. And I think he's a good, he's not like, you know, like a a neck roll bruiser type. He's an NFL caliber athlete. Don't know what, what position he is. Don't know how well he fits on a 53 man. Don't know how well he sticks, but he, he can absolutely add something to a team. Maybe it's not Philadelphia. I just like him a lot. So he's the running back who impressed me, which, you know, also reflects, I think on the actual running backs a little bit.
0: Let's talk about some of the offensive linemen real quick before we flip it over to the defense because I want to touch on some of these guys. Obviously, we'll be talking about these guys for for months going into the process so we can dabble on the offensive side of the ball a little bit longer. Dalton Risner, to me, the, the tackle out of Kansas State, had a monster game. That drive where it was Dalton, Dalton Risner, excuse me, Dalton Risner, uh-huh. it was – Garrett Bradbury, the center out of NC State, who gives me Kelsey flashes when I watch his tape, the right guard from Boston College, who I believe was playing on the left for the game, Chris Lindstrom, when those three were playing together, my God. That they dominate. I really like those three. I thought Alex Dillard had a good game going up against Montez uh, Montez Sweat. Reisner was nice. What would you think of the offensive linemen? Because I thought there were pretty some pretty de- decent performances. There wasn't a lot of pass rush in this game. Number one, because there's no blitzing. Even though I think one of the teams did blitz at some point because they've been on a play action, but
1: Will Harris accidentally blitzed (laughs) 95 times i officially am in on will harris by the way
0: but there wasn't a lot of pass rush because these offensive lines just really showed out and it showed kind of the lack of an elite pass rusher on the other side it would have been a different story if josh allen from kentucky had been in the game but reisner lindstrom bradbury love those guys how about you
1: reisner was the most interesting person i talked to all week because number one and I can say this because there's no way this these words become text on the internet. Reisner searches his name everywhere, right? Like Reisner. Like, yes, he does. If you tweet about Don Reisner, he will like it within ten minutes, unless it's bad, in which case he will block and unfollow you.
0: He was throwing haymakers at one point in the practice with Zach Allen. I'm not. That's not a metaphor. He was throwing punches at this dude, yeah, and Allen no. was punching him back. Reisner immediately after practice like my tweet about it like he's he's searching for himself
1: absolutely right so that's number one
0: no by the way you have to if you're going to tweet about prospects it's a very good idea to figure out who searches their name so if you need to talk about them you can put their first initial and their last name if you're saying something bad about them go ahead then
1: yes now that's that's number one number two (laughs) riser like you said got in it with zach allen Ryzer on the third day of practice was clearly amped about something. He got in a scrap with Josh with Zach Allen. He had, he won yeah. a. He, they did like a big circle in the middle of midfield, and they did pass protection reps, and he <laughs> won his rep, and he got jazzed up. and Gruden like sizzling him, and he went over and like gave Gruden a shove. Like he was like filling himself,
0: bolted towards right. Gruden, like
1: yeah, freaking they're, hit him. They're in eleven on elevens, and he and he and. Lindstrom, right guard, right tackle. He and Lindstrom hit a combo block. They like pick up a stunt or whatever, and he like he yeah. like freaks out. He like picks up Lindstrom like by the shoulder pads. He like loses his mind. Like, you know they're 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 getting jazzed. And so I'm talking with him after practice, and he was like like I read everything you guys write. Y'all say I can't play tackle. I also have to be guard to be a center. I'm a tackle man. I want to show everybody out here. I can be a freaking tackle man. He's not saying freaking by the way. He's really lit up. Yeah. He is feeling himself. <laughs> and I'm asking him like you know like. Oh, did you feel like you were like trying to amp up the third day of practice? He was like, yeah, man. It was the last day to show everything. I'm like, everybody was being soft. I don't want anybody to be soft anymore. And I asked him about like, playing next to Lindstrom. He was like, this is what he said. And this was the funniest part of the whole interview for me. Cause this is all he said. He goes... Yo, Lindstrom, man, that dude is a guard. He's a guard, man. Lindstrom is a guard. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I was like, like yeah. I was like, yeah, I have the roster. Like, what like I was looking for more information. Like, but like he's like, like, it just he, he clearly loves playing next to Lindstrom. He was also a nasty dude. Uh Reisner had a great weigh in where he hit the mm. benchmarks for length that you'd like to see from your offensive tackle.
0: Yep, over 34 inch arms.
1: Right. He had a great day of practices. One of the most animated guys out there finishing, you know, uh, all the stuff that offensive line coaches really like to see in terms of a week of practices, right? There's still, I think, movement concerns and the, you know, kick slide stuff, whatever. But he absolutely made his case for playing tackle when like, you know, beginning of the week, Jim Nagy saying like, I think he's a center at the next level. Rizner went and had like three great days of practice at tackle. And so, you know, he's he's definitely going to be a guy who I think the more spots your team needs in the offensive line, the more likely you are to draft Reisner early. I think he's still a round one conversation sort of a guy. My my rankings coming into the Senior Bowl, my three best players were Lindstrom, and then a little bit of space, and then Sweat and Reisner were pretty close. They were like three or four spots separated on my big board. Yeah, And Reisner had a great day handling Sweat in the, in the game, man. Reisner really, really had a good day against Sweat. And so... Uh, it's interesting because they obviously played in, in the uh, in the season. They played in the
0: regular season. And yep.
1: Sweat wiped the floor with Reisner. Sweat beat him on yeah. multiple occasions. And So it was really curious to see, to go back watch that game film and then watch, obviously, the Senior Bowl game or whatever. I don't anticipate Reisner being a guy for Philadelphia simply because he is a bit of a plotter. He's more of a power-based blocker. Lindstrom could be a guy if they're looking for a guard, if it's something that they have to do, you know, whatever, moving guys around. Uh, so I don't think Reisner's going to be that guy. We know Philadelphia did speak to a couple of offensive tackles while they were there. But fun player, entertaining player. There were scouts at the weigh-in when Reisner walked off the this, this stage. They went like, good player, but he's a fucking douche, right? Which, like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Like, honestly, like, for offensive tackles, sometimes that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because there's a story about Reisner out there. He sees John Elway, you know, on the sideline 40 yards away, and he sprints up to John Elway and says, hey, man, I'm from Colorado. I just want you to let you know I'm I'm trying to represent and do all that stuff and make sure that I'm putting my best foot forward for the city. And Gary (laughs) Bowles
1: is soft. Let me take his job. Like, you know what I mean? Like...
0: So Reisner is a very interesting dude. Uh, one dude that I, that I loved and I already touched on him, but it's center Garrett Bradbury out of NC State. If Kelsey were to retire tomorrow, I don't expect that he will. If Kelsey were to retire tomorrow, then I'm putting a big circle around Bradbury because I watch him, and like I said, I get flashes of Kelsey. The way that he moves, he's not as great as of, a, of a technician. I was sitting down with an NFC West scout watching some of the offensive line practice tape from day two in the Exos film room, And he said, guy can move, guy can do everything. I wish he was more of a master technician. Not saying he's a bad technician, but saying for his size, I would think that he would be better than he is. But an offensive line coach is going to look at him and go, yeah, I can absolutely work with this guy. Now, he's gonna have some anchoring issues. He's a little bit light. I mean, this is basically what we're talking about with Kelsey. He's also a converted tight end, too. So he doesn't have this long time span at the position. So he's got room to get better, but he moves so well. I put on his Boston College tape and, you know, with his technique, too, I counted about six, seven times that he just dropped a guy. So he can move, he can work with his hands, he's solid. He'd be exactly what the Eagles would be looking at if they were to say, we don't want to change our offense because Kelsey is the centerpiece of this offense. Let's go get this Bradbury guy. Let's touch on one defensive guy before we go. We already talked about him, Montez Sweat getting locked up by uh, by Dalton Reisner for most of the game. Yeah, He's been the most hyped up prospect from the edge rusher position, from the senior bowl. Had, to, had, had a solid week of practices. What do you think about his game overall? Is he somebody that entices you... At twenty-five for the Eagles because he's not the bendiest guy. But what I like about him is he really knows how to use his use his length, lock out with his arms, and create a two-way go for himself where he can manipulate you and go inside or outside because he's got that separation and he has you locked out. What Would you like from uh, from Sweat there?
1: Yeah, I'd like to start by saying I do not anticipate him being an Eagles target. I don't. I think that the things that Philadelphia values in their Edges, Jim Schwartz, are things like like the three-cone drill and bend, and I don't right. anticipate, and that's where I think sweat is weak. And they've typically not valued length super well. Like Derek Barnett is like a a bottom 10 percentile athlete at length. Uh, Brandon Graham is a below average athlete in terms of length at the edge position. And meanwhile, Sweat is like, you know, the biggest wingspan we've ever freaking seen. You know what I mean? Like dude is –
0: Almost got 36-inch arms, Ben. He's got some poles on him.
1: Dude's got pythons. And so it's (laughs) – like, you know, like that's great and that's good. It's just not what I think Philadelphia has valued at the position. So I don't know how effective Sweat's going to be rushing from – I I, like it's it's the question of like does rushing from the nine technique benefit this player I don't think it benefits sweat I think sweat is better when he's at a five or a seven which he can get immediately into the frames of tackles and use his length right away and so I don't think like the scheme benefits the player so sure they could still draft him but they would not use him as a nine technique which the Swartz is moving away from the wide nine a little bit but still like you know like their edge rush is predicated on quick explosiveness from the outside and so that's just not where I see sweat winning. So I don't anticipate him being a target. That being said, 25 is the right area for him, and there's a need. So if it's what makes sense, and it's what makes sense in terms of like how the board falls, and I'll be fine with it. I think Sweat will probably, uh, yeah, I, I think I can say pretty comfortably, he'll end up grading higher for me than Derek Barnett did in the 2017 class in terms of his ability as an edge rusher. Barnett fit a little better. What it is that Philadelphia wants to do on defense, in my opinion. Uh, you know, He's a more natural fit, but that being said, I just think Sweat is a better player flat out. Uh, and Sweat had a week, like I said, on the uh, on the Thursday show had, did well, as we anticipated him to do shouldn't really move the needle in terms of if you if you if you valued him around like, you know, a, a late first coming in, then he's a late first leaving. Uh, I don't think he did much more than anything we anticipated him to do. Cer- certainly 36 inch arms is like a big win. But you already knew he was long. So you don't want to like, you know, uh, overreact to that too much. Edge rushers were generally so disappointing, I thought. Just like, you know, if you call yeah. Charles Amenahu, the Texas kid, an edge, then okay. Uh then you can add him as far as like there were two good edges, but I don't. I think his interior defensive line type. And man, I mean Granderson ain't it, uh Ferguson ain't it, O'Sheen Zeminis. Yeah, Zemenis is a little better, uh, but he's still ain't it. Jonathan Ledbetter is weird. He might be it. He's his his body has changed over the past two years. LJ Collier is the only player who, the TCU edge, who didn't get as much attention as Ben Banigu, the opposite edge, who was also there during the season, but he had a much better week. He's the only player where I'm kind of interested to see what what's up. And then Anthony Nelson is, is, I still like Anthony Nelson, the Iowa edge. This kid's like two. You're going to win on
0: Dillard in the game.
1: Yeah, well, it, yeah, because Dillard's not that great. Um, He's like 6'7", <laughs> 270. So he's not a Philadelphia type. He's absolutely going to be like a 3-4 end. He's going to be a, a strong right. side end sort of type. But I like him. There's like, for Philadelphia's purposes, the edge crop I thought was super weak.
0: Ben, I think that's going to do it for this Senior Bowl recap. Of course, we'll be talking about more of these defensive and offensive prospects as we go through this pre-draft process. We are officially in draft season. We're going to be talking a little bit during the week about the Super Bowl. Of course, I'm going to bring some people on to talk about that from you know the Rams site, from the Patriots site and get their perspectives on the game as we ramp up towards the Super Bowl. Obviously, we're in very much so draft mood. So I'm going to have some content to put out on BleedingGreenNation.com. One of them is a playmakers piece, trying to find some playmakers for the Eagles offense, as we talked about up top on the show when we were talking about Emmanuel Hall and McLaurin and guys like that. So you'll see who I like there. I got to do a little bit more film work on that, but that'll be out soon. Ben, say goodbye. To the gentle listeners,
1: thank you as always for listening to the Kisten Solie show here on BGN Radio. We are officially in off-season mode, folks. We had our time off. We mourned the loss. We went to the Senior Bowl. We are back and we are ready to go. What you can anticipate from me moving forward is a lot of pointed positional work. And so, upcoming in the next week, you should anticipate a look at Jason Peters, a longtime left tackle for the Philadelphia Eagles, who experience a drop-off in play this year that's the long and the short of it what's his future going to be like should he be retained at his contract number is it likely philadelphia moves on from him does he retire and who options could be in terms of solving the issue at left tackle does philadelphia stay with who they've got do they draft a the guy how early do they draft him so this is offensive tackle specifically left tackle week for me at bleeding green you can find that written work uh at bleeding green on twitter bleedinggreennation.com and of course you can find some of that analysis here on the show at BGN underscore Radio. Now, if you want to catch every single off-season show, which I'm sure you do, make sure you subscribe on whatever app you listen to your podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or otherwise. If you do enjoy the show, we do appreciate ratings and reviews. We had a tremendous influx of those as the season ended. And if you missed out on that, don't worry. Uh, we would still love to read your thoughts. And if they're funny, share them online. As always, I've been on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Michael Kist on Twitter, at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. We're going to catch you later this week.
0: We all we got. We all we need, fly eagles fly.